turn your Bibles to the book of Acts 9.26. For the sake of time, I'm going to start reading in book of Acts 9.16. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But... Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he, had, how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Amen. And in this scripture, um, we see here that we see an early moment of Saul, not Paul yet, but Saul, coming in to the church and getting saved and wanting to be a part of the church. And yet nobody believed him except one man. Amen. And I think a lot of us went through that when we first got saved, right? We got saved, but some, of, some people were like, no way, it's impossible. No way, right? Go ahead and take your seats. I remember when I first got saved, I had been a, I am a product of prayer. That it was my spiritual mother, Albina, that prayed me into the church and I honestly didn't think I would be getting saved. I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would get a touch from the Holy Spirit and have his way in my life. I never honestly ever thought that. And it wasn't a desire. And so that's how lost I was, that somebody had to find me, and that was God. And when I came into the church, I, I came in hungry, you know, in desiring God. But I remember there was a time where, um, like about a year before that, my friend graduated, and I remember I went, into, I went to his party, and I was dressed very differently from how I dress now. And I came in there, and I was completely opposite from what I am in the church. And I don't want to get into detail because it's not necessary. But I remember I went into that party, and everybody was staring at me like, who is this girl? What is she doing here? Oh, that's Mondo's best friend. That's, that's his friend from school. They're, like, really tight. Oh, okay. And I looked, and, and I remember, like, people looking at me, but I honestly didn't care. I was like, whatever, these people are bootsy or whack. You know, back in those days, those words were good. They were cool. Today, too old school now. And I remember I was there. And th just a couple uh, months ago, somebody brought me this picture, and it was a picture of me at that party. It was his graduation party. And I looked at the picture and I thought, oh my gosh, I look so ghetto. I look so little, everything but God. And I just, but in the background, there was these women of God that today they're still serving in the church. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at sister so-and-so and pastoral wife. And oh my gosh. And I can honestly tell you, nobody talked to me at that party because I think I was really intimidating and just my demeanor was very different. And nobody talked to me at that party. If somebody did, I honestly don't remember. And so I remember people from church being there, but not having conversation with them or anything. And so when I came to the church, that same church, I remember there was like, what? That's Mondo's friend? That's the girl that we saw at the party dressed like that? No way. And so it took a little convincing of, from, from, um, 
from me to convince the people, no, I really got saved. Like, I really got a touch from God. And so it took a while, and eventually people started, excuse me, people started believing. And here was the same thing, but this guy was a little bit more hardcore. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a persecutor. I'm nothing like that. But this man, the Bible talks about Saul, which, which is Paul, and he had a radical conversion from the Lord. But before he had his radical conversion, he was known as one of the greatest persecutors of this time. And he would persecute anybody that would proclaim the name of Jesus. And he would even murder those who maybe brought threat to his Judaism. And so he was known. He had a reputation that, that he had, not just in the church, but even outside of the church. And so when he came in and got saved, not many people wanted to believe who this man was. They, didn't prob they probably thought, oh, this guy's tricking us. He's probably going to find out that we're Christians. Then he's going to come in and bring men to stone us, to murder us. I don't know. I don't know. But there was one man, and that man was Barnabas. And that one man took Paul under his wing, and he said, no, I'll, let me talk to him. Let me have a moment with this man, and let me see what he's really all about. And as he got a hold of, of Paul, he began to speak to him, and he began to hear how when Paul got saved or Saul got saved, how he started to proclaim boldly the gospel. And so because Barnabas, having the gift of discerning of spirits, he was able to witness if this was true or not. And because he believed that this was the Lord, he was able to bring him to the, to the disciples. And so here this man took Paul under his wing. Amen? How many of us have ever seen somebody come into the church and we get fearful? Or we see somebody, you know, that has a reputation or doesn't look like, you know, a Christian and we back away. I know that's happened here in our church. Unfortunately, it's happened in many churches where we see people come in and with a reputation or they don't look nice or they don't behave nicely or they're not respectable and we back away or we, we shun those people. And yet here, some of these disciples shunned Saul, but Barnabas said, no, I'm not going to do that. This guy has something here. And that's how we need to be when we see people come in and get saved or we, even when they come here, that we would embrace them and love them. Amen? Barnabas, who was he? He was a disciple. He was a missionary. And he also functioned as an apostle in the early church. He would travel and plant churches. He would encourage churches. And he, was, he had a great reputation. His name also meant son of encouragement. And so a lot of people back, back even today, when you name your child, it means something significant. And so when he was named, he was named son of encouragement. Imagine that gift being taken from the world into the church. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to love you. He was also a man of great generosity. When he got saved, he sold all that he had, all his land. And guess what he did with the land? He didn't keep it in his pocket. He didn't put it in his savings. He took, the Bible says, all his money and gave it to the disciples to advance the work of the ministry. Can you imagine? Take, think of all your possessions and think about how much they're worth and having that amount of finances and not keeping one dime to ourselves. Now that is generous. 
But that's how much God did in his life. Amen? And so I believe that as, as God did something in Barnabas' life, how could he not do something in somebody else's life? Right? He had a great reputation. His, he ministered in the church. He served in the church. He loved the church. And so because he loved the church, he took a chance with someone that nobody else wanted to take a chance with. Amen. I believe that he had the love of God. Because when you have the love of God, the word says that perfect love casts out all fear. And so as these disciples feared Paul, the love had made perfect in him, in Barnabas, caused him to reach out to Paul. Amen. How many of us know that the love of God, it, it never fails? The love of God, it covers a multitude of sin. That the love of God, when somebody comes in and I, the man sees through a man's eyes, it's, it's limited. But when we see through the eyes of God, there's so much unlimitless. Amen? And so here Barnabas came in and he took Paul under his wing and loved him. I believe that God used Barnabas to love this man. But not just love this man. But the word says that love is kind, it is gentle, it is not proud, it keeps no record of wrong, it is patient, it is long-suffering. And so here, as the love of God flowed through this man Barnabas, it was overflowing that he had to pour out that love to someone that was willing to receive it. And so he said, Paul, I'm going to love you. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to keep a record of wrong over you. I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to be long-suffering with you. I'm going to be kind to you, Paul. And so that's what he did. God used Barnabas to love on this man. Because if you think about it, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a very proud man. He had big reputation. So there was probably some strongholds and some attitudes that needed to be changed. Jews, Pharisees, oh, God forbid that they, that they mingle with Gentiles. God forbid. And so here, I believe Barnabas had to be patient and, and kind and compassionate with a man that had to change a little bit. Amen? How many of us need to change here? I have to change. I've been saved. You better be raising those hands in one year, brother. Amen? I was, I've been saved only, I think, how many years? 19 years now. And I can honestly say, Man, I got a lot of work ahead of me. I've got so much growing to do, so much changing to do. But thank God I'm not where I used to be, amen? Also, Paul, or excuse me, Barnabas was not afraid of Paul either because he had the eyes of God. Have you ever made that prayer where you say, Lord, let me have your heart. God, I want your heartbeat, or Lord, use my hands. Make me your, you know, your workman, you know. Make me your, your servant, your slave, whatever you want. Or, or some of us, I've prayed, Lord, let me have eyes like you. Let me see the way you see things. Let me see the people the way you see them. And so I believe that Barnabas, he had the eyes of God. He had the vision of God. And that vision caused him to look at Paul, not just as Paul, the, the persecutor, the Pharisee, but Paul, the missionary, the apostle, the man of God that, was, that, was, that, that God destined for him to, to be. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, old things have passed away, and behold, everything is new. And as the word of God probably flowed through Barnabas, that was probably something that flowed in his mind was that this man, the old, has passed away. 
The old man has died. The old man no longer is, no longer is going to exist. But all things are new to this new man, Saul, who became Paul, the apostle. Also, I believe that Barnabas took him under his wing out of pure obedience. And what I mean out of pure obedience was the word of God says that in Matthew 28, 18, right? It's one of the most famous scriptures in all Christianity. And that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. That there's no boundaries, there's no borders, there's no limit to discipleship. But that as one man named Barnabas had to cross over and reach to this man Saul. And so did Saul. Saul had to become Paul so he could reach and reach out to others and disciple others. And so here, I believe that he just took Paul, took a risk, took his chance, not because he thought maybe this is the best idea, but because what Jesus had commanded was to make disciples. Make disciples. It was an obedient, it was, an, excuse me, it was an obedience that took place in Barnabas's life. And this year, my husband has shared that this is the year of discipleship. This is the year where we're going to grab people and take them under our wing and work in their life and pour into them. And what, is, what has been poured into us, it's now time that we pour into others so that as we pour into them, they get filled, and as they get filled, they can pour into somebody else. And as that somebody else gets poured into, they can get filled, poured into, and do whatever they do and pour into somebody else so that it never stops. There has to become a cycle that takes place in the reproduction of discipleship. Amen? And so this year, as we grab that spirit of discipleship, we have to be able to understand what is that? What is discipleship? Why do we discipleship? What is the importance of it? And I believe not just today, but the next year, you're going to hear discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. Next Saturday, discipleship. We want to reproduce this, the, the ministry. We want to reproduce disciples, but not because we want to be a mega church. No, because we want to do the will of God. We want to expand the work of God. We want to expand the vision. But in order to expand the vision, we must disciple. I want a disciple. Do you want a disciple? I only heard like the front row. <laughs> How many of us want to disciple? That's a little better. Hopefully all of us want a disciple. Amen. I just, you know, just really quickly, I remember when I first got saved, after I convinced the church that I'm no longer that girl, guess what happened? I love God so much. He's such a provider. And what happened was I got saved, and it was at my job. I was working at Neiman Marcus at this time, and this um, Holy Ghost-filled woman, she worked in the packaging area, and her name was Josephine, and she would tell me that Jesus loves me. This was like the seed that God kept using right before I got saved. And she would tell me that the Lord loved me, and she was this black lady, real soulful, loved her, loved her. And she would be like, honey, child, Jesus loves you, and mm, honey, the Lord has a calling on your life. And I would just receive it, because at that time, I was, like, receiving anything that would encourage me. And so I remember when I got saved, I ran, I ran up the stairs, because it was, like, three, three stories. And the shipping was on the third floor for, for whatever reason. It should have been, been on the first, but it was on the third. And I ran up there, and I kicked 
the door open because I was so excited. And I, and I went to Josephine, and I was like, Josephine, guess what happened? And she's like, well, what now, child? And I said, I got saved. And she was like, she just started praising God. She just, hallelujah, hallelujah, like that. It was just so awesome. And she was praising God for me. But not just that, but in that year that I was there, the Lord used her to disciple me at my job. That if I would go through some trials or if I didn't understand a scripture or if I needed prayer over, over me because I was feeling oppression or whatever it was, the Lord used her at my job to disciple me. And she didn't spend like hours with me and, you know, praying five, six hours with me. No. But at that time, I needed someone in that atmosphere to speak into my life, to remind me why I was there, to remind me that God had a purpose for me. And I just remember that, um, you know, that Sometimes we think that no discipleship can only be in the church or no, I, you know, that's my job, but that's separate from the church. No, it's not. God used this woman, Josephine. She was like 70 something years old to disciple me. 18 brand new saved, 18 years old, brand new saved. She discipled me. And so if you go to, if you go to work, not only are we a light of God to the, to our, the world or our jobs or wherever it is, but remember, we can make an impact. We can disciple even our coworkers. You just never know who might get saved, and they're at that job place, and they need someone to encourage them or speak life into them. You never know the impact that that can make. And I know that God used that woman, Josephine, to specifically, I know that if she was only there to disciple me for that year, that was her purpose. It wasn't there to wrap all the, the, the packaging and shipping and call FedEx or whatever it was, her purpose there was to be the light, and God used her to disciple me. So next time, next time you go to work, you might disciple somebody. Next time you go see that coworker who's in need of prayer, you'll be the discipler. Next time you see that coworker that needs prayer, you go over there and pray for her or him. Right? Just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I'm only speaking to the women. I'm speaking to the men here because here it talks about Barnabas and Saul. Amen. So it's so important that we disciple, that we catch what God wants to do in this church. And so here, as we talk about Paul and Saul, not only did, did, did Barnabas have the love of God, not only did he have the eyes of God, not only did he just want to be obedient to God, but he also saw the potential. He, had put, he saw the potential in Paul. And because he saw the potential in Paul, he wanted to take him on a journey of discipleship. How, have we ever seen somebody with potential? We, there's, look at each other. There's potential. Look at, look at your neighbor right now. Look at your neighbor. Look at them. You guys are so disobedient. Look at them. There you go. Do you see potential? Do you see the hand of God? I see so much potential. It's amazing. I see pastors and pastor's wives here. I see evangelists. I see missionaries here. I see men and women of God here. 
I see dynamic leaders, leaders here, servants of God. I see them. I see them on the balcony. I see it. But it's one thing to see the potential, and it's another thing to actually grab someone and help them discover that potential. And that's where we're at. There is potential here. I mean, we could make a dance out of it. Vincent, where's, where's your mood? Potential. 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 Right? Yeah, I got the potential. But how many of us are willing to grab that person and say, let me help you discover that potential? And that's what Barnabas did. He saw Paul. Saul. If, I hear, if you hear me saying Saul and Paul, it's the same person, okay? But Barnabas saw the potential. And he said, I'm going to take, take this man on a journey, and I'm going to disciple this man, and I'm going to prove everybody that feared him wrong, that this man is going to do the will of God. He's going to do great things for God. Amen? In 2 Timothy 4.2, if you want to turn your Bibles there, this is such an important scripture because as, as uh, Paul was getting discipled by Barnabas, he had to be able to take care or be able to take heed to some things that were going to take place here. In 2 Timothy 4.2, this is one of my favorite scriptures. And it says, excuse me, in 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. That's a heavy scripture. Rebuke, convince, exhort with long suffering and teaching. It takes a lot to disciple someone. It's not easy. It's not honky-dory all the time. It's sometimes very hard, very heartbreaking, very out of your capacity, very out of our um, comfort zone. But when we disciple somebody and we actually take that time and those years and those moments and those hardships and those times of patience and we see the fruit, it becomes worth it, right? It becomes very much worth it. I know that somebody took years to pour into my life and I still have people from 15 years ago still pouring into my life. I have people from 10 years still pouring into my life. Leaders, women of God that have proven themselves and the outcome of their lifestyle has been proven to be God lifestyle has continued to pour into me. And so as we take this challenge on this year to disciple, we got to be ready, ready, not just to see the potential, but to help that person discover their potential. And so how many of us want to help somebody else discover their potential? Amen. I know that one thing that not only Paul had to do, but many of us here need to do. And that one thing, or a couple of things, is that we need to learn to be open. And I mean completely open. Because you, if you, unless you open your house from inside and unlock those doors, we can't come into your house. Yeah. 
right? Your house is a very special, very personal. Um, it's our place of refuge. It's our place of rest. Friends come to the house, not strangers, right? Solicitors, we don't let solicitors into the house. We don't let strangers in our house. Our house is a very personal, important place. And it's a place where we invite only friends or people that we trust, correct? And family members. Sometimes we got to let that one family member in because they're family. All right, come on in. I'm watching you, though. Don't go upstairs, right? You know who you are. <laughs> However, here, as we're discipling, we got to be able or if you're gonna if you're gonna be discipled, we have to be able to be open. And I mean completely open. Not just keeping half of yourself one foot in and one foot out kind of open. I mean open. We need men and women that are gonna be completely transparent and open about the struggles of life and open about the issues of their life and open about what they wanna grow in. Because I can tell when people say, I want you to disciple me. Really? Okay. Well, can you just go and clean the toilets for me at the church Monday? Of course. Great. See you there. And then they don't show up. You sure you want to be discipled? Right? Or you just want to stand next to me and look important because I'm not really that important. But if you want to feel important, you can, but that's not discipleship. Right? But we need people that are going to be open because it makes the process pure. If you're open with me, I can give you exactly what the word of God says. If you're able to tell me your struggles, I can help you with that struggle if I've overcome it. And if I haven't overcome it, then let me direct you to someone who has so they can be pure with you. Right? Why, why be fake and phony and put a mask on and be a hypocrite when this is the body this is the place of refuge where we can be family and be honest with each other, right? We have to be pure. We have to be open. I know that when I disciple women, I need them to be completely open to me because I want to give them the good stuff, not the fake stuff, not the phony stuff, not the, not the counterfeit stuff, not the knockoffs. <laughs> Do you know, and this is a little side note, it's going to be funny. Do you know that I didn't know that knockoffs existed until I came to Victor Outreach? <laughs> when I first came to Victor Outreach, I started seeing people with all these Louis Vuitton bags and coach bags. And I worked at Neiman Marcus, and I, like, I have expensive tastes. I can't, I can't spend it because I don't have the money for it now, praise the Lord. But when I did, I liked Chanel. I liked Prada. I like Terry Mugler, just these very couture names. And so when I came to Victor Outreach, I started seeing all these women wearing Louis Vuitton bags. And in my mind, I didn't know they were fake. I was like, that's a $2,100 bag. And in my mind, I was like thinking, wow, their husbands let them spend that money? You know, they don't have a lot of money. How did she do that? How did he do that? Is, does he have a side job? What, how did they spend it? And so all of a sudden, I, I was like, man, everybody has a Louis Vuitton bag. I just have my little, you know, my little coach bag or whatever it was. I don't even remember what I had. And so, and then once I found out they were fake, 
I was like looking at her and her and him. Fake. Fake. Counterfeit. Bootleg. What was the other word? Knockoffs. And I was like, oh, that's a fake purse. Who wants to be fake? When people see us, do you want them to say, oh, she's a knockoff? Oh, he's bootleg. Uh, he's, he's counterfeit. They got that at, what is that, Bayfair Mall? Or what's that really ghetto mall in Oakland? Durant Square. How many of us want to be known for that? No, when people see something real on me, I want them to know, oh, that's the real stuff right there. That's the real deal kind of girl right there. That's the real man of God right there. That's, that's the no fake and phony brother right there. That's the guy you want to be ministered by. That's the man of God that's going to tell you the truth. You better get over there because counterfeit over there and doing nothing for you. You go over to this guy over, he's going to tell you the truth, right? We don't want counterfeit. We don't want fake and phony disciplers, and we don't want fake and phony disciples. We don't want counterfeit ministry in this church, but we want the real deal, anointing over our ministry and over what we're doing here. We got to be able to be open and allow our personal lives to be exposed. I have a woman, Carmen, Pastor Paul's wife. I have exposed my being to her, and I have allowed her to speak the truth into my life over a certain issue of mine. And to this day, I check in with her, and she'll ask me, how are you? And let me tell you, it's not easy to be open and completely exposed to a person because you don't know if they're going to judge you or not. You don't know if they're going to look at you in a different way. You don't know if they're going to be turned off by you. But this woman took a chance to hold me accountable, and I'm able to expose my weakness to her. And she's able to say, Chell, you can overcome it. You can do this. You, she encourages me. And so because she's able to do that for me, I can walk in victory. Right? She's not a fake and phony. Some of you guys are like, yeah, yeah. No, I'm serious. I need you to catch this. That when you're open, you let your heart open. Someone can pour pureness into us. Amen. It makes the process more pure. We also have to be willing to change in mentality. In Ephesians 4.23, it says, it talks about changing, changing the attitude of our heart. Changing the attitude of our mind. We have to be able to change. When we're disciples, we have to be able to change. That's the reason why we came to church, because nothing was working outside of the church. We have to be able to change. Not because you're not a good person and your personality, you know, is horrible. No. It's because God wants us to be transformed into his likeness, into his being. That when we look in the mirror or when God sees us, does he see his son inside of us? Right? We have to be able to change the attitude of our mind. Have you guys ever heard of the ghetto mentality or the poverty mentality or the hood mentality or the gangster mentality? And I say that because we're victory outreach. We don't reach the people in the hills. We reach the people in the gutter. We reach the gang member, the prostitute. We reach the lost and the down and out. We reach the ghetto. And when I came into the church, I was hood. Where is Vincent at? He knows. I think even Yolanda saw me. She's up there. I was hood. I was like, what's up? Oh, no, he did it. Uh-uh, nah-uh. That's how I used to be. Go ahead and laugh. It's embarrassing. 
But I used to be that way. Like, I was so hood that if some girl looked at me crazy, I went back to the church, pulled my hair back, and was ready to fight her. How ghetto is that? I was ready to brawl because I felt disrespected. So I'm going to go back to the church where the Holy Spirit touched me, and I'm going to go beat her down with the Holy Ghost's help. (laughs) My God. Imagine. Uh, Thank God I never found her. She would have got it really bad. (laughs) Anyways, the point of the story is we have to change our way of thinking, change our attitudes, change from poverty to kingdom, change from I'm only going to give a dollar to I'm going to give my 10% and more to God. And when we change that mentality, we change and we break curses off of our lives. We break patterns that are unhealthy, and we create new healthy patterns in our lives. Amen? We also have to be willing to change in the way that we think. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In Ephesians 5.26, it also says, cleansing us with the washing of the water with the word. Does that make sense? Cleansing us with the washing of water by the word. Excuse me. It's by the word. That when Christ comes, he's going to come for a perfect and unblemished church. But how many of us will be ready for him to come back? I know that it had to take the word of God. For me, when I came into the church, I hated men because of how men used me in the world. I hated men. I didn't respect men. I I felt that if a man could do it, I could do it better. If a man's going to use me, I'm going to get something out of it. He's going to be the dummy. That's how I was. And I'm being very honest with you, church. That's how I thought. I hated men. I didn't intentionally come up to them and say, hey, Pastor Toby, I hate you. But I didn't respect the male authority. I didn't have a male authority in my life growing up. And so I learned to hate the male authority in my life growing up. So when I came into the church, I had to understand who the man of God was. What position he held what kind of high position he held and the anointing that rested on his life. And I had to change because I remember feeling like, why should I listen to men? Why should I listen to him? He can't teach me anything. And I remember the Lord used a minister of God and he rebuked me so harshly. And he said, Chella, if you're going to last in this ministry, You need to change. You need to change your ways. You need to learn how to respect the man in his place. Because if you don't, you won't have a place in this ministry. And it was such a simple rebuke. But I felt the Holy Spirit break me. I felt God telling me, you honor my son. How how can you not honor my servants? And I just remember when God ministered to me and told me that. I said, God, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for belittling men. Forgive me for not respecting men. Forgive me for not letting this man feel respected by me because I was disrespectful. And all of a sudden, God began to show me how he put love through these men of God. Because in the world, I didn't have real love. I had that phony love, like Dre talks about, Drake or whatever his name is. I don't even know his real name. He talks about fake love and phony love, right? 
I can't even sing it because I don't even know the song, but I heard it's really good. But I had only experienced fake love out there. And so my guards were up. But it wasn't until I came to Victory Outreach and into the church that I discovered true and pure love from men. It wasn't a perverted love. It wasn't a gross love. It wasn't a a love that if I give you this, you have to give me something in exchange kind of love. It was the fatherly love that I needed. And I didn't know how to receive it at that time. But as someone spoke into my life and told me, you better get it together, girl, I repented. And I started looking at the men. And I started seeing the anointing over their life. And I started seeing the hand of God and seeing how God had put his spirit inside of them to be a blessing to the church, to love and shepherd and guide us in the right way. But it took me having to change and to allow the word of God to transform my thinking and to allow someone to speak into my life. If I didn't have someone speaking into my life, I would have never grown or been challenged to grow in these areas that I was so falling short of. The next thing that when we look for a disciple or if you want to be a disciple, you got to surrender your will. It's hard. This is where the hard part comes in to disciple somebody. Because some people say they want to be discipled, but they're not willing to surrender their will yet. And what I mean, their will, I mean the choices that they make, the friends that they have, the habits that they create or have still. And this is where discipleship really gets sticky. Because even this is where family has to be separated. Because sometimes it's in within the family that sin occurs. And because we're family, we're in the atmosphere of that sin. But this is where we have to be able to surrender our will, not just to God, but in a sense surrender our will to those who are discipling us. Because those who are discipling us, they're going to lead us and guide us in the right way. That's a difficult one. I've had girls only go so far with me because they weren't willing to let go of certain things. I've allowed, or excuse me, I've had certain girls that have allowed me to speak the word into their life, pray with them, but when it came to letting go of old friends from the world, they won't do it. And it's not because I'm telling them, you need to stop hanging out with It's because the word of God says it. And there's a reason why we don't hold hands with the world and we don't, hand hold, we don't hold hands with the church at the same time. You're either hot or you're cold. You're either with us or you're not. You're either Luke, or what is that? You're either hot or cold, not lukewarm, right? But there's a reason why we can't hold hands with the world. The word says that we become enemies to God when we make friends with the world. And we stay an enemy to God if we continue to stay friends with the world. Why? Because the world contradicts everything that the word of God says. And so when I'm holding hands and hanging out with so-and-so from the world, how do I glorify God in that? Where's the power in that? Where's the impact in that? Where's the pureness of the gospel in that? Right? Some of you guys don't agree with me. You don't have to. Just go look in the word, and you'll find it. But it says here that we have to be able to surrender our will and take heed to what the word says. 
And as we surrender our will, as we give God our will, he begins to place his will in our life. And as he puts his will into our life, we begin to have desires that come from God, that come from the Lord. It's a supernatural calling to be in this position that my husband and I are in. But let me tell you, when I first got saved, I didn't want this position. There was no way, uh-uh, no, no way. And there was no way I would ever get married or have kids. But as I surrendered my will and said, God, do what you want to do within me. Change me, mold me however you want. God began to tell me. I remember a conference call, a conference, world conference. He told me, I have a husband and I have children for you. And I started crying, and I was like, Lord, if that's what you want me to have, I'll take it. I'll receive it. And then guess what I did? I was crying, broken. Then I went back, and I said, not for me, Lord. Not on my watch, Lord. Not today. Right? God's like, oh, daughter. Oh, chella, chella, chella. And then he had to bring this guy over here and convince me with his good looks. And said, hey, boo, do you want to spend the rest of my life with me? I said, okay, sure. It takes time to disciple somebody. But when we walk in this anointing, something supernaturally begins to take place. We begin to see our spiritual children that are babies. As we feed them and as we mold them and as we guide them, they begin to learn what it is to serve God on their own. They no longer need us to hold them and carry them all the time, but as we nurture and give them the word and help them grow in the things of God, they begin to say, no, I, I can do this. I, I know I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray on this decision, and I'm going to let God show me. All right? Let me know when the Lord speaks to you. There's a supernatural birth that begins to take place when we, when we start discipling someone, like our children. We see our children, right? They're babies, and we do literally everything for them. We feed them, clothe them, bathe them, wash them, take them to the dentist, all that stuff. And then this morning, like my son, he's nine years old. Mom, I want pancakes. All right, I'll be up soon. Just give me a minute, few minutes. And then I said, no, you know what? Go ahead. Go ahead and make the pancakes. Keep the heat on medium. Be careful. All right. So he went downstairs, and he made his pancakes. Now, was that the first time he made them? No, because I had to be there several times before to watch him and make sure that he wasn't going to burn himself, that he understood the temperature, that he understood what oil could do to your face if you don't watch the oil. And so this morning, I went downstairs, and he made the pancakes all on his own, and they were good. But the point of the story is, the moral of the story is, is that that's what happens with our spiritual children, as we begin to pour into them and teach them the ways of God and correcting and rebuking and dealing with our disciples, they begin to learn how to feed themselves. They begin to learn how to pray on their own. They begin to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit on their own. They begin to make mature decisions that are based on biblical foundation and know how to walk in the things of God. And that's what happens. That's the supernatural activation that takes place when we disciple we begin to see our converts turn into church members. Our church members turn into workers. Our workers turn into disciples. And those disciples begin to lead others. And those disciples that are leading others end up getting launched out somewhere. And that's the vision that we have here in Victor Outreach Hayward under the banner of Victor Outreach International 
That's our desire, is to disciple. Not so that our church could be this big mega church. No, so that when we disciple, that you can be ready and equipped to be sent out one day. And I know that in this church, that God has called this church to be a base. God has used or called this church, has already used, but God has called this church to be a supplier to the ministry. But in order to be a supplier, we have to have the product ready. And I know that I want to be a church that is a healthy church. I want to fulfill the vision that God has put in my husband's heart for this church. That I want to be able to have a church that we don't stay spiritually fat. We don't just let somebody always pour into us and then it overflows and then it goes to waste. Ever drink something and you're like drinking it like a, like a Jamba Juice shake and you drink it so fast and then it spills and you're like, oh my gosh. Ever happen? Or just me? Just me. My God. I guess I'm just sloppy or whatever. Um, all right. Confessing our sins this morning. I've spilled Jamba Juice. I've looked at it and I said, my God, what a waste. Darn it. I got to go back in there and get another one. Same thing with the word. Same thing with discipleship. Same thing that when you're overflowing, are you letting it spill over where it's wasted? Or are you letting it flow over where it's going to fill somebody else up? Because it's the good stuff, right? And as I, end my, as I come to an end, Mikey, wherever you are, hallelujah. What happens when we disciple? What happens when Barnabas discipled Paul? The gospel was expanded. The gospel was preached all over that area, from Jerusalem to Rome to Asia Minor to all of that area. And that's not little. That's a lot. It's far. And especially back in those days, you traveled by foot, by boat, by whatever transportation you had. And it, and it took days to get from one place to another. And so as Barnabas took Paul under his wing, not only did he love on this man, was he patient with this man? Did he pour into his life, into this man? Paul had to be open to be changed. Paul had to be rebuked to grow. Paul had to be encouraged to do things that he normally would not do. But he was ready and open and willing. And because of that openness, because someone wanted to not only see the potential in this man, he helped Paul discover his potential. And eventually, as they would do missionary trips, they split. And Barnabas would take Mark with him to do a missionary trip. And Paul would take his disciples and do another missionary trip. And that's what happened, that as he discipled Paul and as he worked with Paul, as he instructed him and taught him and showed him and trained him, he was able to release him and trusting him in the hands of God. And the scriptures switch over from Saul and Paul to Paul and Saul. Or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas. That that was the product that one man saw in Paul. That when everybody feared Paul and didn't believe him, one man said, I will disciple him. I will work with him. I will teach him the ways of God. And I will prove 
that he is a true disciple of Christ. And for that reason, and for that impact that he made 2,000 years ago, today, somebody reproduced themselves from generation to generation to generation to generation. And in 2017, we are able to say, somebody discipled me. Somebody worked with me. And in 2025, in 2050, in 2075, in 3,000, I don't even know what it's called, whatever it is. I want to be able to say that we took what God has given us. We have been open. We continue to stay open. But we have also poured our lives into somebody else so that when I die, that reproduction will continue on. That generation will continue on. And we don't want to be a church that dies. We don't want to be a church that is no longer. We don't want to be a church that is not remembered. We want to be a church that reproduces themselves. And so this morning, I want you to stand up. And this is an altar call. And believe me, this is a personal, personal commitment that I'm going to ask of you is that as a leader, if you are a leader in this church and you're not discipling someone, I challenge you, men and women, that if you have been saved for 10, 15, 20, 30 years and you don't have a disciple, we need to change some things in our lives. We need to make a commitment once again to the word of God and what he has asked us to do, and that is to make disciples. And what I mean by that is not on an event day, not on a discipleship day, not on a Sunday. I want to see men and women rise up and make the commitment to disciple just one person one man or one woman and not the same disciple that you've been discipling for the last 10 years no I mean find somebody fresh find someone from the men's home find some young guy sitting on the balcony or wherever he's at young woman wherever she's at I don't care if she comes in and out of this church and she's struggling. Grab her. Grab that person. And make a commitment. And say, I'm going to disciple this person. I'm going to pour Jesus into them. I'm going to give them the word of God. I'm going to teach them how to pray. I'm going to teach them how to win a soul. I'm going to teach them how it is to study the word of God. I'm going to teach them how to be obedient to the spirit of God. I'm going to teach them how to listen to the Holy Spirit because one day I'm going to have to release them so that they can reproduce themselves. And so if you're that leader, woman or man, I want to challenge you to make that commitment today that you would grab one person 
one man, one woman, and say, you're my disciple as of today and for the next three years. Yes, three years. Not a month, not a year, three years. And within those three years, that disciple should be learning to walk on, the, on their own, should be ministering on their own, should be winning souls on their own. It should start looking toward discipling somebody else because that's the commandment. And so I challenge you leaders, grab that one person. And for the ones who aren't being discipled, if you're here in our church, but you're just here, I want to challenge you that you would get discipled. Because have you ever been like in the neighborhood or like with your friends and you needed like backup because you knew you were about to run into somebody that wanted to start something with you, but you knew you were good because you had your backup? They weren't going to mess with you? That's the same way the enemy is with you right now. He sees you serving God, and he sees you walking by yourself. But when the enemy sees that you have a disciple or a discipler with you, that's your backup. And that's when the, your backup can say, hey, the devil wants to mess with you. Come on, we're going to go pray. Hey, I see the enemy tempting, tempting you right now. Come on, we're going to go pray. Come on, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, not go to this party. We're going to go to the Bible study today. That's the same way that there's a spiritual enemy ready to jump you. But if you have your spiritual backup with you, guess what? You're going to be all right. You're going to be just fine. And so if you're not being discipled, if you're not learning, being taught by someone, if you're not being a student yet, I want to challenge you today that you would become a student of the gospel, that you would allow someone, a leader, a healthy leader, to pour into your life so that not only can they see the potential in you, but that they can help you discover the potential that is in you. Is the commandment clear this morning? The Bible says to make disciples of all nations. And today is the day that if you're already being discipled, keep going to your discipler. But if you're not discipling, or if you have the same disciple from 10 years ago, you need to recommit yourself to disciple someone. Make the impact that God has called us to make in Hayward, California. Make the impact that God has called us to make in all of the Bay Area.